Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 296 of the Peristyle Podcast, creeping up towards 300. Today is November 25th, 2013. Happy Thanksgiving week to everyone. we got to talk about USC's win over Colorado. got to talk about the game coming up against UCLA. I don't know if you know that, but USC plays UCLA on Saturday, 5 p.m. on ABC at the Coliseum. If you have any questions or comments, we're going to get to a bunch of them today. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or email, I mean, call us at 206-888-6755, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail there. Coach, what's going on? How you doing? How you doing, Ryan? And before we get started, happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there, no matter where you are, no matter what day you're listening to the podcast, but it's a special time of the year. And uh, it's exciting not only for Thanksgiving and the holiday season, but also for all the big games uh, this weekend and then championship weekend and all the bowl games. And it's just a great time of the year, Ryan. And, uh, uh, you know, you sort of get fired up at this time of the year, and it's a one-game season this weekend. You know, uh, whoever wins this game uh, carries it for a whole year. And, uh, yes, it's an important game, but it's also the pride of being a part of a winning player on a team that beats each other, and that's what makes it so much fun. All right, before we jump into all the USC Trojan football talk, I want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. 1-800-888-7287 is the phone number. If you want to go to the game this weekend, definitely go to sctickets.com. They can help you up if you need tickets for, if you want to go to other sporting events, you want to go to the theater, concerts, something like that, sctickets.com will help you. And just want to remind everyone, you can follow me on Twitter, at InsideTroy tweet a lot during the games and you know throughout the offseason if you want to find out what's going on on twitter if you haven't tried twitter yet it's a pretty fun tool and you can also get coach harvey hyde on twitter he's been tweeting a lot lately coat at coach harvey hyde that's at coach harvey hyde never thought coach would be doing the twitter thing and he's doing it now i didn't think i would ever either so that's two of us okay we agreed before we get started today but uh you know one thing i want to mention uh You know, the national championship game in the Rose Bowl, of course, every year is in the Rose Bowl on January the 1st. The national championship game is Monday night, January the 6th. And a lot of people have never been to a national championship game. I know maybe your team's not playing in it, but it's an exciting event to go to. Now, the ticket prices are expensive, but remember, you don't have any travel. If you're listening in in Southern California is what I'm talking to. Travel expenses are hotel expenses, so you might have to pay a little bit more for your ticket, but you have a chance to go and see uh, who will be the national champion. It's great. Last year I went down to the Orange Bowl and watched Notre Dame and Alabama play. Uh, It's something special, and and you mentioned it a moment ago when you talked about Southern California Ticket Service. They can help you get those tickets. You might pay a little bit, but you can't get them, so you might have to pay a little bit more to get them but you'll see something that be it'll be very special because it's the last year, Ryan, of the BCS setup, which means the winner of this game is automatically the national champion. Now, in the future, it won't be that way in Pasadena. It might be a semifinal game. Or then again, uh, it may not ever have the championship game, but that's something you bid on. And I've been trying to persuade Pasadena to bid on one of these games and you know next year it's going to be in jerry jones's uh, stadium in arlington so uh, this is the last time possibly in a long time you'll see that or have that opportunity so i just wanted to tell everybody that in case they were thinking about going or not going there is that opportunity all right well coach wanted to jump into some of these questions uh right away we want to talk about the game a little bit we're going to talk about ucla and coach orgeron lots to get to but I think we'll start off with uh, John and Irvine, and it's a, a subject that I know you you like a lot, Coach, the, about the fullbacks and how they get used in the offense. We got to see a little bit of some of Anuku 
in that game. But uh, John in Irvine says, Soma showed us last night, this was obviously Saturday night he's talking about, that he has the speed to play tailback, but he also has the size and the demeanor uh, to be a great running and blocking fullback. I know Soma was a, a very good running back in high school, as was Pinner. Uh, using the up fullback in the run game adds all sort of additional deception variety in the power run game in addition to the quick hitter option other than the QB sneak. It also forces the D to stay in their gaps and can make the, the defense pay for selling out uh, on outside penetration or focusing solely on the movement of the tailback. What do you think about utilizing the fullback more? That's John in Irvine. Well, John and Irvine, I agree with you 100%. If you've been listening regularly through the year, you've heard me say you've got to get the fullback more involved in the offense. Now, they, the way they got him involved in the offense was the flat passes, which were great. Vanuku caught him, and they started the game, but they're having trouble running the football, if you remember, and they had to get some, keep moving the chains, and they used him in the flat, and it worked very well. And the way they got him going as a running back was a tailback at the end of the game. And I have to agree with you, he really did surprise me with the speed he had when he broke through and that one back had an angle on him, but he ran away from him. Not only is he a complete uh, player as far as a fullback, and he'll play in the NFL, and he's only a sophomore, so he'll be back, but he's he's an excellent player on special teams. I mean, he plays on every special team unit just about. He blocked that punt where they got a safety, where they really needed those two points at that time because they weren't really moving the football that well against Colorado early in the game. They had to rely on the pass. He's a good blocker. He leads you to every play. I like to see him run, you know, take some splits in the, in the, in the line and run a counter with him off the power and run a quick trap up the middle with him against a uh, even defense where you block it or, full block it, and he runs right up the middle and breaks off the guard's block and, and gets down the field to hold people at home so they can't just pursue immediately. But as far as the adjustments in the offense, how they're starting to utilize all the players, John, I agree with you 100% with the fullback to the tight end. The tight end actually caught a wide delay. You've heard me talk about it. You saw the tight end catch some passes, Grimble and and uh, Telford for a touchdown pass when he looked back from the same bootleg and hit him in the middle. He should have thrown a little earlier, but he put it right in there with great touch. And uh, the screens now have been added to the offense, something they really haven't utilized in the past, and it's been a big play. Maybe they haven't all broken for touchdowns. One did with Allen, but you know what that does? That keeps everybody honest. The receivers are blocking well, uh, and, and I think they're having what you call a complete – a team type of effort, uh, like uh, Lee, well, Lee's not playing, but you know, you, one receiver isn't catching 100 passes, but everybody's involved in the game plan, and you're more of a team, and you can accomplish more, and that's starting to happen. So, yes, I agree with you 100%. I think Vanuku did a tremendous job, and they're starting to utilize him more. He's a tough kid, a good kid. And uh, I gave him an honorable mention yesterday on the Trojan brunch as far as for the player of the game. I gave the player of the game to Buck Allen. Uh, He just makes a difference. He's going to be a phenom as far as a football player. And uh, and, uh, I gave him uh, an honorable mention as far as uh, what he did in in that game. So uh, I think I answered that question for you because (laughs) I was just as excited uh, 30 minutes later, uh, I've answered it. <laughs> that's very good, Coach. All right. Thanks for that one. Certainly, he's a guy. Some of Vanuka's a guy that's changed his fortune. He was someone that he turned things around, uh, certainly. It, it didn't look like he was dropping passes. He wasn't really contributing. Now he's not only the, the best special teams player that USC has, but he's also a big part of the offense. You know, he's That big run that he had, he you know, caught a touchdown pass against Stanford. I mean, scoring against Stanford is a pretty big deal. Um, he's certainly changed things. He's blocked three punts so far this year, too, Coach. So um, just a lot of things that he's been doing, a lot of ways he's been contributing to the team where before it seemed like a lot of people were kind of down on him. I agree 100%. I know his number, and I can pronounce his name. Very good. That, that's always a, a good start. All right. Um, let's go to Ben. He said, USC ran the ball on first down 12 times in the first three quarters against Colorado and gained a total of 26 yards. How is Colorado defending USC on first down, and what is the best offensive response 
uh, to that. And, and coach, just to add to that, that, that was something we saw against Stanford, really had a hard time running the ball and they were getting a lot of second and third and longs. And you kind of expected that against Stanford. I don't think people expected that against Colorado. Well, you know, the number one thing you want to stop against USC is to run. Uh, they're a running football team. You hear me talk about you've got to run the football to make your play-action pass work, and that's why their play-action pass worses, works, works is because they will attempt to uh, run the football. Now, they haven't been uh, as successful the past couple of weeks as far as pounding it out and going five yards, four yards, three yards, ten yards, eight yards. But what they've done with the running game, uh, and as you see them as they were people down, they've been able to get the big play. They've started to turn into a big play type of football team, both pass-wise and run-wise. So you can't give it up. They put more in the box now. They put more people in the box because they know they have to stop the run. Marquise Lee has not been playing, so it's been easier for them as far as in the secondary. So uh, I think that uh, they just jump up there in the box, and, and they're playing the run. And, and you know, I, want, I don't want to give excuses, but let me tell you, the reason I couldn't tell what they were doing is the production by the Pac-12 network was like I had to get a, binoc- or not binoculars, what do you call it, those uh, bifocal, whatever you call it, to see the game. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't read, first of all, you couldn't read down distance or situation when they gave it to you. It was that small. And that was a pretty big TV set. And then the, the announcers forgot about talking about it as far as how many yards were made on that play, uh, first down and, and or second down and eight or whatever. So, And in the production of the game, golly, I don't even want to get in that and waste you people's time, but it was absolutely horrible. It looked like he was playing with candlelight. <laughs> not, I'm serious. And they want to know why that production isn't on direct TV. I mean, some screens, on my big screen, it was smaller than what the screen was. Now, I don't know if anybody else had that problem, but I did. So it was hard for me to follow the game and be able to tell you exactly what was going on. A lot of the plays, uh, when uh, Seymour got hurt on the pick, uh, they really didn't replay that much so you could see actually what what was injured. Uh, Did he get a concussion? Was it his knee? What was it? It looked like to me a little bit of a concussion because he was down on all fours. It wasn't like he was holding his knee or anything, but it was very poorly produced, okay? And, and I'm not afraid if they know I'm talking about this, but maybe it'll help them improve it, okay? I'm the honest type of guy. When SC's good, I tell you they're good. When they need help, I tell you they need help. Well, somebody's got to call up their Pac-12 network and tell them, hey, you need to hire somebody or get some new equipment. Well, yeah, we had, actually had a voicemail question before. It was about the Pac-12 network, too. I didn't really want to get into that, but Well, you, you can did. get into it anyway. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, obviously it was a real problem. And we saw on Twitter, like I, I was there tweeting from the press box. I was on the field, so I, tw- I took a bunch of pictures, Coach, before the game. You could see snow still on the field. And so I tried to take some pictures of these guys warming up, you know, if, if they had extra – clothing on and things like that just to get people a feel for what it was like because I know a lot of people aren't going to be able to watch it and we did have a lot of people mention uh, on Twitter that they appreciated the the tweets and and what we were describing and I tweeted a lot of photos and stuff mostly because there were a ton of people that that couldn't watch it and you know maybe they didn't feel like going out to a bar or restaurant to to check it out or going to a friend's house but a lot of people weren't able to watch this game well you didn't miss anything as far as the production part of it, as far as the game, you did. Because uh, what you tweeted out was more than what they showed, okay? As far as, no, really, as far as the sidelines, they didn't see if anybody was in capes. And maybe you can tell me. Did they have heaters on the sideline? Did they have capes on the sideline? They, they never really showed any of that behind the scenes in this type of weather of how people were trying to stay warm. Uh, maybe you can help us with that, Ryan, because believe me, no one talked about it. No one showed it. Yeah, I just don't know what was going on. Yeah, we didn't see when I walked around the sidelines. and said, Well, the, the problem, Coach, is it's very narrow. Uh, when you walk around that stadium, usually if I'm on the field and I could take photos or video, um, there's there's an area between the, the 25s, I think, so the 20s or 25s, that's the, the bench area, one on each side for each team that you can't go into. That's it's 
not roped off, but it's there's lines on the field that you don't go into where the players are, and they they're not allowed to leave and go where media people can be. Anyone doing photos or video, and they they kind of walk up and down the field depending on where the ball is, and they kind of move this mass of humanity. And there's benches there and stuff, um, and usually you can walk behind them. Uh, there's areas behind the the you know so you can get from one side of the one end zone to the other. You have to kind of walk behind these guys. Well, there really was no room um, to do that. Like you're walking kind of through this mass of humanity. But yeah, I didn't see anything super special that was you know some some way different. I mean, people definitely trying to keep warm, but I think they were just kind of into the game and using that. But there weren't like there wasn't anything outrageous that I saw. And there was probably some small things that I may, probably didn't notice, but nothing that was kind of crazy on the sidelines to do that. But the, the the snow, I mean, the snow was all kind of in the end zone. And everyone I talked to that was down on the field, the whole game coach, usually had coats and layers and you were pretty warm, just your body was. Everyone's feet got cold. So I, I'm curious to see if, if the players' feet got cold. That was the one thing I think that everyone, even the, the fans in the stands, that were like, yeah, I was warm except for my feet got cold. No, no, the players' feet get cold. Believe me, they do. And uh, that's why you saw a lot of stingers because when it's real cold, and you hit the ground, you get stingers because it's so cold. But all, all the players that went down with those came back and played. Once they loosen up again and and it goes away, you can come back and play. But that's part of playing in cold weather. So, uh, I, you know, enough on the production, enough on <laughs> the Pac-12 network. But I hate to bore you people with that. But, uh, you know, it, it, it you know when you watch a game, and, and, and as uh, Larry Scott says, well, first of all, you know, 7.30 kickoff in Colorado at this time of the year. You know, Well, you got to do it. we got to have a game. we got to have a late game. Well, first of all, it's, uh, it's back east 6.30. It's 9.30 when the game starts, okay? So I don't know what type of exposure you're getting on the East Coast, and I don't know how many cable networks carry the Pac-12 network back there. And then they all say it's supposed to be a student experience. Well, I don't know how many students were having a great time at this game, tailgating for your fans when you schedule a game that's that late. You know, really, uh, I'm not trying to take anything away from other games, but the Arizona game would be a nice atmosphere at night. Or, or so, uh, But Colorado at night at 7.30, and I understand Pat Hayden fought against the Pac-12 to have this game at night. It's just something you don't do. You can have an afternoon game up there, but a night game up there? Are you kidding me? I, I, then they talk about student experiences. Well, it's an experience, all right. So uh, I, I just don't think it's right for the kids and the fans and the people to have to go to that type of atmosphere to play when you're a student. Now, when you're in the NFL, well, you're getting paid to play, and that's part <laughs> of your job, and you go wherever the job takes you. But student athletes, I don't think that's smart. And actually, there wasn't a lot of students there because they started their Thanksgiving break. So. Besides, oh, and, and the reports that I got there were just I was I was already in the the you know not the Coliseum in Folsom Field, like almost three hours before the game before kickoff. But the people that I talked to coming in said there wasn't a whole lot of people tailgating. Obviously, there wasn't a, there was a paid attendance of thirty six thousand, but there wasn't that many people there. I mean, it was cold. Colorado's not that good. It was late. It was the beginning of of you know uh, Thanksgiving break. I think they could have figured out a way to not make this game when it was miserable at night, when it was just no sun and just really cold. Well, what I did is I took the TV I had down to Vaughn's Market. They have a big refrigerator. <laughs> I set it. I set in there with the TV on with the refrigerator just to see how it would be. And uh, it wasn't bad. There wasn't any wind, Brian. <laughs> yeah, the wind kind of There wasn't too much wind. Actually, there wasn't a lot of wind there either. Uh, to be honest, I was look, I was watching for that because, you know, when it's cold, you certainly can make it a lot colder. I mean, I grew up in New England, so you know about, you know, wind chill and, and things like oh, that. Yeah. But, I, you know, I left I left New England, Coach, because I don't want to be cold. Uh, that's why I live here in Southern California. So it wasn't really a fun thing. I got to throw a few snowballs, but that was about it. <laughs> Great. Okay, now we've had a lot of fun. And for all of you out there, we're in a good mood because, of course, the Trojans won. And it sets up this big game against UCLA. Plus, it's... Uh, holiday season and again we want to wish all of you a happy holiday season what's next Ryan? oh yeah let's get back to the questions here luke uh you know we're a little tangent there sorry everyone luke says what happened to the usc defense in the second half and what is coach hyde's view of the coaching reason for so many being excuse me so many points being scored 
on USC in the second half. Well, you know, I was concerned a little bit that they did substitute a little early. But again, I know Coach O is really into this uh, player atmosphere, emotion, everybody being happy and being a part of the team and program and something. But in today's football game, you have your left corner out, Seymour, and uh, it, it, it's, it's difficult that, you know, I could see them. And, and Colorado really didn't challenge uh, the left corner. I mean, at sometimes during the game, I wasn't quite wondering what they were doing. They were running the football a lot. The clock was running. Uh, it, it was uh, it's like they weren't trying to catch up by throwing the football down the field, which they did. And when they did, they were pretty successful. I wasn't quite sure uh, what what was going on. Now, when it got to be whatever it was, 40 to 29, I think it was, and then all of a sudden I saw Coach O, and you did too. You saw him put his number one finger up saying it's time for number one to get back in the game but all you need to do is score get an onside kick which they almost got which they should have gotten yeah but they didn't hey they're back in this football game luckily Vanuku comes in and runs that touchdown which gave them uh some points extra to become comfortable where they couldn't catch up but if they get that onside kick and they go after the left corner and throw the ball down the field where they're having success hey you're you're back you're in trouble. So uh, I think what came from this was this. I think now those kids had a chance to play. Uh, he showed confidence in them. He will be able to teach off the tape in the film, which is very, very important. But these kids don't play much in competition. So you can teach what they did right. You can teach what they did wrong. And, of course, you're bringing them along as far as for the future years and also the morale of the team. So, basically, everyone wanted to go up there and see them smash Colorado. But, really, you know, they went up there and they won their football game. What was it, 24 nothing, 23 nothing at halftime? I think at one time, wasn't it 30-7 to at one time? Yeah. Well, yeah, but then again, you know, they let the momentum get back a little bit and they started to substitute a little bit. And those things happen. But you've got to be very careful in today's football, especially when you don't have the numbers in the secondary. Because I thought, and I'm not sure, I thought Josh Shaw played just about the whole game and the regular safeties played just about the whole game. So they don't have a lot of numbers back there. So you got to be really careful with, you know, those type of things. So uh, that's that's what I saw. I just think that there's, you know, you start to think a little bit, but I don't want to second guess. Was it worked out fine? Uh, but it, it got me a little nervous when I when I saw that happening, and then with the onside kick, and oh, I said they got it, they got it. Uh, but then luckily it bounced back, and uh, I can't remember who picked it up. But it was a it was a lucky for USC. All right, uh, let's go, Jerry in Exeter, California. He says, "Why is it that our DBs rarely look up for the ball after they break on the receiver or when the ball is in the air until it is too late?" Well, I tell you. I used to teach when I coached the secondary, you, you watch the belt buckle, uh, and depending where you line up is where the, where you are on the field and what the coverages are. You backpedal, you watch your, uh, if you're playing man, you watch your belt buckle, and when they start to run, you run, you stay in your backpedal as long as you can. And then, of course, when they start to get to your shoulder, you, and you turn and you run with them. And when they start to look up, you look up. You've got to locate the football or you'll run into them if, if they stop and the ball is underthrown, they're going to catch it, but you're going to keep running. They can see the football. You can't see the football unless you turn back. So you've got to be able to look for the football when they look for the football. Now, it's hard to do that. Don't get me wrong. You've got to be a great athlete to do that because what happens at one of the best passes in football is the underthrown streak where uh, the receiver stops and comes back to the football, and, and you as a defensive back continue to go and then stop and come back, but it's too late. So you've got to really look for the football. You get pass interference when you run into the uh, receiver. It's great technique. I'll tell you, it's difficult to do, but you have to be able to do it. But I've always taught I'd rather have you get pass interference than give up a touchdown because that's a 15-yard penalty, Okay. So if you're beat and you think you're beat, you've got to look to see if the ball's going to be overthrown in there. But if the ball is there, the hell with it. Grab him. 
do whatever you have to do rather than get beat. Now, you might think I'm cheating when I'm saying that. Okay, call it whatever you want, but it's better to get a pass interference penalty for 15 yards than give up a touchdown. So, But if you're in the right place, you don't have to do that in the right position. It's a very difficult position to play. Corner and man coverage is really hard. You've got to get tremendous athletes that can play that type of technique. That's why these receivers today are so much faster, so much bigger, and then some of the quicker ones that play in the slot can make such tremendous moves and be there right now and you throw to a spot, it's very difficult to play. So, uh, yeah, it takes a lot of time, and it's easy to say what you're supposed to do, but when you're out there, it's difficult. There was actually a, a series there, Coach, where Torrin Harris batted down two balls. I think uh, it was the USC secondary was credited with five pass deflections in this game and, and one interception. So I thought they played the ball a little bit better. I actually wrote a story on Josh Shaw trying to take on Paul Richardson, and he was Paul Richardson was held without a catch in the first half. So I think the USC defense did a really good job on him. But you can check that out on the front page of uscfootball.com, Josh Shaw trying to take on Paul Richardson. So, yeah, I thought they played – there were some, some good spots in there. I just – you know, at the end, Deion Bailey said it after the game, Coach, that the USC was up 30-7 to when the starters started to come out. So that's, that's – to, to him, and that seven points was – not on the defense. That was on the offense. So, uh, fumble recovery for a touchdown. So, I, I, he was pretty happy with what the starters did. Well, you got to always be happy. When you go to Colorado, you're coming off a big win with Stanford. You go up there, adverse conditions. Uh, and, you, and, listen, you talk about, uh, oh, were they ready to play? Yeah, they were ready to play, but they're not ready to play at the same emotion they were against Stanford or were they were the way they'll be against UCLA. you just got to be a good enough football team to be able to go up there and get the job done and get home. And uh, that's exactly what they did. They went up there, they played in those type of weather conditions, played against a team that wanted to beat them. Yes, Colorado's not the best team. The number one concern I have coming out of that game is running the football. You've got to run the football. They were forced to pass the football to move the football. So, and uh, the defensive line, on the left side, or the defensive side, right, USC's left side, was driving the uh, offensive tackle back where there really couldn't become a seam or any way to run the play out there. That's why they ran the toss for that one touchdown. But uh, the right side, I felt, blocked well. I really did. I think that was probably Kevin Graff's best game I've seen him play as far as uh, unrushed blocking. Not that he hasn't played good games. I just thought he was more consistent and that's where most of those success came. All right. Well, last question for you, Coach, and we'll let you go. This is from Martin in Ontario, Canada. Since Clay Elton has taken over as the offensive coordinator and running the offense, it appears that Cody Kessler has not continued to grow as a quarterback. Kessler has, been, has not been able to break his habit of locking in to the wide receiver that he wants to throw to. So are SC's quarterbacks getting the coaching time they need from Helton on their techniques or is Helton too busy running the offense now? That's Martin in Ontario. Uh, that's a good question because you, uh, first of all, want to see the progress of the offense, and it all starts with the quarterback. I personally think that it's become uh, Kessler's offense. I see him now taking over. There's more confidence with him when he needs to throw the football. I think he's thrown the ball well with great touch. Uh, he's had a couple of drops, but I think he's uh, improving. Uh, I think that uh, uh, when he's running, like when he ran that bootleg and threw the touchdown to Telford, uh, he didn't. He locked on, and then he looked back, and that's why the pass was a little bit behind time, but he got it perfectly between those two defenders for that touchdown. And once he starts doing more of that, you will not see the secondary flying to the sideline to take away the out routes, stop routes, and so on that USC is running. So uh, if you start to run more across the field and he looks back, you're going to be able to cut down on uh, pursuit, and and he'll start looking there more. He'll start looking there more now because he has success with it. Once you have success, you go back to it. You look for it, Uh, like the uh, seam routes they're running to the middle of the field and the wide delay that they added. Uh, They keep adding uh, some some routes uh, without Marquise Lee in there where they can, you know, uh, be successful. I think the receivers are – 
are, are doing well, but they're all catching the ball. I didn't see many drops in this football game. I think that uh, Cody is really fitting in well. I, I feel comfortable with him because they're doing what they should be doing. They're not asking him to do something he can't do. And I think that's what's be- why they've become a better offensive football team. All right, Coach, great stuff. Got to talk a lot about the USC victory over Colorado. But, of course, focus is going to be on UCLA next week. We look forward to talking to you again after that game. It's going to be a fun one at the Coliseum. What? what wait a minute. You're trying to get rid of me? <laughs> well, let me ask you. You never brought up Coach Orgeron. Oh, well, you know what? Why don't we do I got to get my two cents in. So, Coach, there's this thing that's happening at USC right now where they fired their head coach of the football team. I'm not sure if you heard this. And there was eight games left. And they hired the interim coach who was already on staff. His name is Ed Orgeron. He's a Cajun guy, funny accent. Well, he went 6-1, and one, and he's 6-0 and oh in conference. Uh, what do you think about him sticking on as the, the permanent head coach? Or do you think USC should go outside and, and hire someone else? Well, I think that right now he's got to con- uh, continue with the interview. He hasn't done enough so far to get the support of the administration. I haven't really heard a strong statement saying, hey, he's doing a great job. It's really great. I mostly hear that they're out searching the nation to find out who could be a bigger name. Uh, I personally don't like any of the names I've heard, but that's just my opinion. I think Coach Ed Argeron has come and put it together where the kids are playing for him. There's great success going on. There's great enthusiasm back in the Trojan family. The Coliseum will be almost sold out, if not sold out, for the UCLA game. That wouldn't have happened. Game day has come to Southern California with the Stanford game. There's a lot of positive things happening. People are doing a lot of great things. Now, I'm going to say this one statement, then we're going to go. I'm going to say I kept hearing before from the administration about the reason why we can't win is because we're on sanctions. We've got all these sanctions. We've got all these injuries. We've got all these numbers. We don't have the numbers that everybody else has. Well, the way I've checked it, they've had the same numbers, the same sanctions, the same injuries that uh, they got more and they get off of it, whatever they've playing, the same walk-ons before when I used to hear those excuses. Now, if that was used to protect the pass coach on why he wasn't successful, then I feel that same administration should say, look what's going on. We've got all these sanctions. We've got no numbers. We've got all these injured players. And look what Ed Orgeron has done. Uh, To me, that's what you say, I support someone. And you pass that out. But correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the same roster. I think it's the same numbers. I think it's all the same, but I don't hear anybody giving him credit for that. And all I'm asking is, please, be fair in this decision. And he says that, you know, he's won and he's being considered for the search, which is fine. I know that. So I say I think Coach Ed's got to finish the interview. I think if he finishes the interview against UCLA, I think it puts it in a position where possibly there's no other choice. Now, that's my thought. So it's just my opinion. But I think when I think back on the situation, correct me if I've made – Wrong statements here, but I think that's what I've read and heard in the past. No, you're you're exactly right. That that definitely was an excuse before. It's not really an excuse now. Now I think people USC fans are kind of expect to win no matter what. Now Ed Orgeron is doing that, so that's why I think you know, all the polls we do, coach, about seventy five percent of them want USC fans want Ed Orgeron to be the head coach. So we'll see. We should know here, and I don't know. Who knows? We might know at the end of next weekend. We might know a few weeks from now. We'll figure, we'll figure it out, but we'll be following it the whole time on uscfootball.com, of course. Well, buddy, thanks for giving me a little OT, okay? No problem, a little OT. I just I know you got you're a busy man, so I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to keep keep you up more, but I'm glad I know you had something to get off your chest there. So sorry I uh, didn't let you do that at first, but thanks. We got to glad we got to get your opinion on that, and we're gonna I, we'll get some more opinion on that. We got Dan Weber coming up. He's gonna talk a little bit more about Ed Orgeron as well. He's also on the same camp as, as Coach Harvey Hyde, so we'll get to that. In just about a minute, thanks for tuning in the podcast. See you in another minute. Hello, Trojan fans. We've been on a roll since Coach O has taken over. Sometimes you have a great team or product, but you're just not getting the results you want. Sometimes you need a new strategy to shake things up and get your team winning again. 
If you're a small business owner, you might be having the same problem in your business. Maybe you hired someone to do the marketing or build a website or handle your social media, but you just aren't getting the results that they promised. Or maybe you don't even have a professional doing the marketing for you. Whatever the case, you know you can do better. Your business deserves better. Imagine the success you might be able to have if you hired a new marketing company. Circle Marketing gives you that big agency expertise and strategy, but at a small business price that you can afford. So contact Circle Marketing today at circlemarketing.com and see if hiring a new marketing company is the right action for you to take to help your small business get back on track and back in the winning column. Circle Marketing can help you build that bigger business. Contact us today at circlemarketing.com. Circle Marketing will fight on for your small business. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined in this segment by uscfootball.com. Beat writer Dan Weber, who braved the cold with me up there in uh, Boulder, Colorado. How you doing, Dan? Pretty good. Uh, actually, I after watching the NFL game last night, I, I don't don't think I felt so terribly bad about the cold. But I think the thing that makes it bad, uh, and I, I think people forget this, is is the altitude when you go to Utah, you know, Salt Lake or uh, or, or Colorado. You you've also got an altitude issue, so, uh, so that gives you a couple of uh, of uh, you know uh, climate related, or I don't know if that's even climate, but uh, uh, which makes it really special the way this USC team in recent years has performed in uh, you know in situations. They came back strong a year ago at you know at Utah, two years ago at Colorado, in almost as cold a weather. Uh, you know, played really well. Uh, this is a team, uh, I, I guess that's one of the good things, even though you still got a lot of kids like, you know, Leonard Williams, all the Florida kids. Heck, most of, none of the Southern California kids I don't think had ever played in any conditions even close to that. And uh, the way uh, I always think that uh, Pete Carroll set the stage for it, uh, one of the greatest moves I've ever seen a coach make, they were playing Washington State, and the history had been, it, when they get bad weather in Pullman, that USC tends to, uh, you know, collapse. And uh, that was the night that it rained, sleeted, snowed, and hailed in the half hour before kickoff. <laughs> and the Washington State students were going crazy, thinking, this is it. USC's going to fold, blah, blah, blah. And Pete was in there convincing those guys, this will be the greatest experience in your life. You've never had as much fun as you can have playing in this kind of weather. And they were so excited about, you know, hail was hitting their helmets. And <laughs> they couldn't have been more excited about playing. In that. And USC, I think that was the game. USC scored two touchdowns in like the first minute and uh, just beat, you know, beat Washington State to death. But that was Pete, his ability you know, to convince them that this is going to be a good thing. And I think Ed did some of that same thing. You know, I think, you know, Leonard Williams and his guys were talking about this is going to be fun. You know, I've never done it before, but, and I, I thought they handled it, you know, as well as you could even possibly, uh, you know, begin to handle it. All right. Uh, that's, it was an interesting game. We had a couple of questions a little bit later on that we'll talk about, but the the big thing is now that, USC is six and one in the new season at Orgeron, and we have a bunch of Ed Orgeron questions you can imagine, Dan. So I want to play a voicemail question for you to start off. Hi, it's uh, Bruce and Reno again. I'm calling to voice another common frustration a lot of us SC fans trying to understand why there is so much debate about whether or not to hire Coach O. If it's about the X's and O's, I think Coach O has proven he's been there for off and on for ten years. People don't think he doesn't know the X's and O's. I don't understand that. What you're looking for in a head coach, I believe, as a college fan, is you're looking for somebody that will motivate the players. Uh, that's, that's number one. There is no question, you cannot argue, that this man does not do an extremely good job of motivating his troops. They love him. They'll go to war for him. Cody Kessler said they would, yeah, they would go to war for him. They'll walk through fire for this guy. So what the hell do you want in a coach? Uh, or do you want Lane Kiffin? I mean, is that what this is all about? Or somebody like Kiffin that has the personality of a doorknob? Or you want somebody that will rally the troops. So the next thing is, what's the second thing? He can recruit. Ed Orgeron has been considered the top recruiter in college football for a number of years now. So I honestly, I just don't get it. What's the worst thing that could happen, that we hire him and he fails? Also, 
uh, we're waiting to see if he wins the UCLA game. Are you kidding me? He is not the one out there on the field. I don't think we're going to get beat. But even if we do, uh, there's no question that he's got those kids playing at the top of their game. They beat Stanford. We had, what, uh, 12 defenders on the field for the whole game, only one. Uh, we actually had 11, but there was one guy who played one play. I don't even know who that is. So I'm sorry. I don't get it. I'm voting for Coach O. Give him a chance. Thanks. Yeah, you make all the right you know points, I think. My question about uh, would be timing-wise. I don't think – you need. I, mean, I know there are people who have, you know, the theory. I'll oh, name him now and really fire him up and do all that kind of thing. I don't think you need any distractions. I think they're doing it. You know, as Ed said in his uh, conference call last night, he's not answering any questions about the job. He appreciates the support, but uh, they don't need any distractions. And, and to me, that would be kind of a distraction. That would be something that everybody would have to deal with and process involved with USC football. It's not related to getting prepared to beat UCLA. So uh, my tendency would be, uh, you know, if you have to do the groundwork and all that, I don't even know if I want Coach O, you know, to be, uh, uh, you know, thinking about that, which would be the case if you had to, you know, try to come up with, a, you know, a contract or a deal um, uh, that you could announce after the game or something like that. I just think, you know, you'll have time then. But, uh, you know, you make a really good point. Uh, uh, what is there that he's not doing? And uh, I think so much of, of the emphasis has been on all of the things that he does that you can see, you know, the, the, the sideline behavior and the rah-rah and uh, bringing back, you know, all the, you know, the fun and, and uh, the food and all that kind of thing. But what he's done, you know, we get to see is the way he's, turned practice around and streamlined it and, and sped it up. And uh, the way what they do in practice now completely relates to the tempo and the speed of the game on Saturday. So there's no, you know, oh, it's going to take us a while to get up to speed because we've been going half speed in practice all week. Uh, the way he's matched up, the, you know, the first team against the second team to get competition, but also to, to get the uh, get you up to game speed, he's done so many really smart things. The way he's used his uh, assistant coaches, the way he's made changes, but it doesn't look like he's you know he's the one that you know had the little meeting after the Arizona State game with Clancy Pendergast and uh, you know about Josh Shaw having to go back to corner. Uh, I think he's really uh, the next week. It was a, a meeting with Mike Summers about you know, uh, really squared away some assignment issues and, 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 and mistakes that were happening in the offensive line. Those were, you know, but not with a heavy hand and not with a, it has to go through me. I want it to go through you. And uh, that's what's happened. Uh, the, the way he's allowed Tommy Robinson to handle the personnel uh, groupings and, uh, and, and, you know, rotations for running backs, is unbelievable. I mean, nobody in the country could have withstood the loss of four of their six tailbacks who you could say, you know, going into you know, uh, summer practice, it would have been numbers one through four. Uh, and they're all, you know, they're all gone. And, you know, they still can generate that kind of a, you know, running attack. So, uh, you, know, to, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I think the things he's done are all the smart, you know, really almost unseen things that, you know, have gotten this team to where it is, uh, not just all the, you know, the real obvious ones that everybody, you know, writes about and talks about and that the kids love. What they love is going to practice. They love, you, you should see them going to practice. They enjoy it from beginning to end. And one of the reasons is they know they perform well in practice. It'll be reflected in where they are on the team and how, how it turns out, you know, in terms of games and participation. And it also, they understand that what they're doing at practice is going to be what they're going to do in the games. They see the connection now. There were times where I think kids thought, what are we doing? You know, what we practice all week, we might not even do it in the game. Everything might change. And that, that happened a number of times where it was like, what, what, What's the connection between practice and games? Uh, that's been reestablished, and you've got to have that. Practice really matters. 
uh, and so they're practicing so well. And that was one of the you know things we really didn't like about the you know you know getting on the lane train was um, practice didn't always uh, you know connect to to games and practice didn't always mean a lot. And practice actually held them up, I think, a lot of the times. And uh, it was, uh, you know, like a, an NFL, you know, a bad NFL practice. And uh, that's not what college kids need. Um, there's a comment from uh, Jeff, the math teacher in Fountain Valley, I wanted to read, and then a question from Percy Tillman. He said, hey, Ryan, okay. since you've been talking about us fans, how us fans feel about Coach O, I love him so much that this weekend I watched a Sandra Bullock movie just to see his cameo. That's sincere <laughs> love right there. Again, that's Jeff, uh, the math teacher. Now, that. there are people who have different opinions about Ed's acting ability. Although he <laughs> he, he kind of looked like himself, but he looked like kind of a nervous version of himself. Where uh, One of the neat things is I think the real Ed is such like a cool guy in terms of he's really that guy. He's really that real football coach from, you know, uh, southern Louisiana. I mean, he doesn't have to play that part. And I think, unfortunately, in a movie they tell you, you got to play that guy. Well, he is that guy, yeah. you know? Uh, <laughs> that, that, was, that was funny. I actually haven't seen the movie yet. I've, I've read the book, but I haven't seen the movie. i got to check that out. Uh, but Percy Tillman um, had a question. He said, I have friends that are alumni of USC, and they really want to hire Ed Orgeron. For the most part, I agree, unless they, used to, unless they excuse me, lose to UCLA. That would be an ominous sign to me that he can't beat the Trojans' most bitter rivals. Which coach has started a career – losing to Notre Dame and UCLA in the same year and actually did well enough to bring titles eventually. thought that's an interesting point. Percy Tillman. Yeah, I, and I don't know. I know uh, uh, Pete lost to Notre Dame and then went on that tear. Uh, that's a good point. We'd have to look that up. I don't know. And, and I do think, though, when you say he lost to Notre Dame, you got you got to remember that was like in that period when they had zero tight ends and zero scholarship tight ends and zero wide receivers fully healthy. I mean, it was unbelievable that they even got through practice that they got onto the field with Notre Dame uh, in the you know situation they were in, and you know they got every break went against them, every call went against them. You know, so if you say he lost the Notre Dame game, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I go along with that completely, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a factor. And, and I don't disagree when Pat Hayden says we're in the business of winning, uh, winning games. And uh, very often it comes down to that, whether that's fair or not. Uh, but I can, I can understand that point of view and don't totally disagree with it. Yeah, Pete Carroll ended up going on to beat UCLA that year, though. That was kind of his the turnaround, yes, right? Yeah, was that the, that was the Sonny Bird game, right? I think so. Yeah, where there was a bunch I, of back. I remember. I just we just gotten out of here. I was listening to that game, and I'm thinking, who the heck is Sonny Bird? You know, <laughs> like, and it was, and, and USC. I think was that the Deshaun Foster year, I believe, from UCLA, and where he was, you know, the Heisman Trophy candidate for like the first half of the season, and then all of a sudden. They get into the last game of the year, and USC's got Sonny Bird running a tailback, and UCLA didn't have anybody, as I recall. And uh, you just never know with college football. That That's the, the beauty of college football. You really don't know uh, how things are going to turn out. Yeah, it just can be crazy. Uh, it certainly is. But all right, well, let's see. They've got – there's more Coach O questions, if you can imagine that, Dan. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that is the difficulty, I think. And this, is, this will be the challenge of handling this week with this game, and yet you have all of these questions out there. Uh, a guy who can handle that and handle those kinds of distractions, that's a pretty good audition uh, you know, for the USC job. No, it is. It's, and it's, I like what he's doing right now as far as, kind of pushing things off as far, you know, he doesn't want to talk about, um, you know, the, uh, any of, any of this, because it's, it's really not the time to talk about if he, he doesn't have to talk about trying to become the next head coach because he's putting, like he said, his resume, uh, on tape right now. And, uh, you know, that's, and that's what he's actually telling his players, you know, every practice, it's your resume. That's who you are. Every game, uh, this is your resume. 
and he's really connected with them. I mean, in a concrete way where they, they absolutely see the connection between, uh, everything they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's not a case of, Oh, we'll hold on, you know, and there have been, you know, players or teams or whatever say, well, I'll just wait and I'll do it at the next level or whatever. I think they really convinced them that, you know, take care of this level, uh, take care of this day, this practice, and uh, and what's coming next will take care of itself. And I think that's the challenge, you know, for Ed and his staff as well. And uh, just a quick note before we get to the next question. Pete Carroll beat UCLA in 2001 his first year, 27 nothing. If I'm sure a lot of USC fans remember that. And, and Carroll, to his credit, was 18-2 versus UCLA and Notre Dame. So I can understand the other uh, uh, question that was written in. If you lose to both UCLA and Notre Dame, is that a, a ominous start? But um, like like Dan said, it's not it's not an apples and oranges comparison. I know USC fans love to hear. And that. there is a difference now is you have Stanford in the equation. It's hard to not look at the rivalry as almost a three rival. I mean, in USC, when you had two rivals, arch rivals, Notre Dame and UCLA, nobody in the country had two uh, like that. And now you, USC almost has three like that. And that's that's kind of unheard of. Nobody else has three rivals uh, comparable at all. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, and it goes with the territory. USC, UCLA, and Notre Dame are the only three schools in whatever it is now, 125 FBS schools, the only three that have never played a, a, a school, uh, you know, below the FBS level, never played a, not a single, you know, in modern, you know, history those three schools. So USC is different. Uh, but, uh, but almost now, after you, if you look at where Sanford has gone the last few years, it, USC pretty much now has, has three rivals. And Stanford is their oldest rival. So uh, there's pretty much, uh, you know, you added a, another team to that, you know, arch rival list, I think, with, uh, with USC. Uh, all right, let's move on. David, in the Inland Empire, if Coach O got the job, how long would his leash be? Maybe not as long as a big-name hire with a proven track record at the highest level. I think the next coach needs a little room to struggle without uh, USC Nation calling for his head. That's David in the Inland Empire. Well, you know, I I, I think you can be pretty creative in, in doing a contract for Coach O because of his longevity as an assistant, uh, because of the fact that basically you would just be removing the interim you know, term, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think there would be ways in which you could do the buyout to protect either side. Uh, USC is a private school. It doesn't have to release those details. Uh, you could make it a four, you know, five-year contract, but have other things in there that would allow either side to take another look at it and not, not be that, you know, costly either way. And I think that would be fair to, you know, to both both sides in this particular case, that would be something you couldn't do if you go out and throw you know a bucket load of money at some guy who's not sure he wants to come to L.A. Maybe because it sure costs less to buy a house in College Station or something like that. Uh, then you're stuck. I mean, you're buying him, you're buying all his coaches, you're uh, buying all those transition costs, and you're paying off the USC guys who go out the door and there goes your recruiting classes for a couple of years too. There are a lot of, you know, so, uh, I think, you know, financially, if you're looking at it as a bottom line guy, and I know that people say, well, it's going to be a hundred million dollar deal, uh, over however many years, if you don't do it right and all that. And that's true. But if you're a financial, you know, bottom line guy, it will be a whole lot less expensive now and less expensive going forward. Uh, you know, to continue with that. I don't, I don't think there's any question, and I think you can uh, construct a, a contract that's really favorable to both sides and fair that USC would have more ability to do that with Ed than it will with some new guy with a new agent who's not really sure maybe he wants to and maybe he doesn't. Maybe you can convince him if you give him a couple of million dollars more a year. Maybe he really will like coming to L.A. 
I don't know. Uh, I, I kind of like the idea of, of going forward with that and, and figuring out a way that's uh, fair to fair to everybody involved. All right, let's go. Steve in the he's class of uh, USC class of nineteen ninety seven. Did you catch Pat Hayden's radio interview last week in which he said that the the job is not to find the best coach for seven or eight games or even next year, but for five, ten, or fifteen years down the road? To me, it feels like he is laying the groundwork to choose someone other than Coach O. I wouldn't read too much into that, uh, honestly. And no, I didn't because that was the Thursday night show that they decided to have on Tuesday night, but they didn't tell anybody. Oh, well, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, so if you were listening in on Thursday, uh-uh, they weren't there. So uh, I don't know. I, I think that just was boilerplate kind of stuff that you just say it. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing I think at, at times that Pat does. And it doesn't. You know, I would not parse those words as, uh, you know, gospel in terms of, and, and or try to, you know, what's the, the deeper meaning here? Uh, I, I don't think I would, I don't think I would do that. It allows him to do that if he wants, or, you know, and, and there is a way too that you could say, even if you wanted to hire a coach, oh, you might want to say that because you want to take off, and Pat has to understand that. Why get into all that discussion? Say this week, uh, you got a football game to get ready for. You got a football game to get, you know, to win. Kind of an important football game. Uh, so I think if if you can, you know, not go there, and that's what Pat was was kind of trying to do, uh, I think, uh, because obviously, uh, you know, you're you're not going to hire just for eight games. Uh, and so, you know, Pat's not saying anything that anybody doesn't know. Yeah, it is a big deal. And I think, you know, you could take that, you know, looking uh, the way he said it, and you could actually make the case for Ed uh, by looking at that, by saying, here's the guy who has been, you know, loyal to USC and has been a longtime fixture at USC and pretty much doesn't want to go anywhere else. Okay, so... I think you could read that a couple of different ways, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't put too much into it. All right. Uh, let's see. We got one from James. It seems that the last remaining hurdle, aside from the NCAA idiocy, that must be surmounted or surmounted to fully reestablish the Trojans as a dominant program in the nation, is to rekindle the attitude of physical dominance in the offensive line that has been lacking. Coach O obviously understands the importance of attitude and toughness, as evidenced by the way. His defensive linemen have played, like Mike Patterson and now Leonard Williams. Do you hear anything about what type of changes he might make to his coaching staff, assuming he is selected to be the full-time coach? That's James. You know, we could all speculate, and I don't know if we want to speculate uh, at this point. I don't know if it's fair to anybody, uh, you know, that, that that's there or, or you know, in what direction. I mean, I think they, they've addressed those to some – I mean, Lane has, you know, tried to address it uh, – and then, you know, I think a lot of what he ended up doing worked against addressing it. Uh, so I think, you know, I think it, the simplification and I think the, uh, I mean, I think they've done a pretty good job in terms of, uh, uh, and there are people who, you know, act like they know about oh, conditioning and strength and we got to do this and we got to do that. And one of the reasons I think people tend to underplay where USC is, uh, is that uh, you know very often the weights are are not up to date you know so they look a lot smaller than they actually are they've been you know they've been getting there in terms of you know size and strength uh, I think you know using some of the you know blocking schemes and some of the plays and the complexity and all of that uh, made for guys thinking too much and not just going out and blocking I mean you see more and more flashes of of guys getting the job done, they're still not there yet. They're they're still, you know, they need uh, they need you know to really uh, you know to work on it. I think Mike Summers is a guy who is not a quick fix guy. He's a guy that you know bringing you along and bringing you along, and and you see, you know, little bits of improvement here and there. You saw you know improvements from the first half to the second half in the Colorado game, uh, and yet you know they have a ways to go. And you're right establishing offensive line dominance. I know 
is, is the USC way. I mean, I know from back in the Midwest growing up, the one thing I always noticed more than, you know, USC was tailback you or more than all the other stuff that you noticed about USC football, to me, it was guys like, uh, you know, all the great offensive linemen that you would see. And the thing I always would notice about USC's kids were they were these, you know, the Anthony Nunez, the six foot seven, you know, 290-pound guys who could really run. And that was unusual in those days. You know, you had, you know, these just really great-looking, uh, you know, Ron Yeri and Brad Buddy and all these guys that just looked like, man, now that's what a – and you didn't see that as much in the, the Big Ten. You didn't see that as much in the SEC, but you would see it in, in USC's kids. And uh, that's uh, that, to me, was USC football. So, yeah, I think you're right. If you can get those big, you know, athletic guys that can run and, and uh, you know, dominate at the line of scrimmage, I think that's, uh, that, that's where USC football has to go uh, and get back to. All right. Uh, we got... One last one here, Earl in West L.A. It's been three years, and the only good see the only good thing I see about having Colorado and Utah in the conference is nearly every school in the conference has six extra wins. This year, both teams are one and six going into the final game, so their combined conference record will be three and twelve. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure there there was a financial reason for adding them. What exactly was the objective for adding these two teams, and has it been achieved? P.S. I hope the Pac-12 networks disappear Earl and West LA. <laughs> well, I think the Pac-12 network is one of the reasons. I don't think there's any question about it. And I think, uh, you know, yeah, that expanded the, the footprint of the, uh, you know, or the Pac-12 in the West. And I think everybody, you know, for, you know, broadcast and demographic reasons and all that, I mean, those aren't two of the, you know, although, you know, you get Denver, so you do get a, uh, you know, one of the, you know, major, major metropolitan areas, uh, and I don't think it's, you know, a bad idea to add a couple of, you know, schools that, uh, you know, where it helps your scheduling and it also helps your record. I mean, look at the SEC. They figured out how to do that, uh, you know, big time. And uh, so, uh, you know, and I think one of the things that used to be, like Colorado, you know, they still have their national championship in 1990. And you used to remember, uh, you used to be able to get enough California kids and Texas kids in, in, in uh, Colorado's case, where you could maybe beat everybody once in a while. Uh, I think it's harder to do now. People do a better job recruiting and, and the information. You don't lose as many kids uh, to Colorado and Utah as you used to, you know, California kids. You just don't. And uh, it's just becoming harder and harder for them, you know, schools that have, you know, probably an average of 40 some players from Colorado or from, excuse me, California that are on those two rosters. It's just hard for them to get enough kids that they can beat, you know, if you're doing the job right at USC, UCLA, Stanford, it's just too hard to get enough, uh, you know, of the other kids to come back and, and beat you. But I, I, I don't think it's hurt the, uh, you know, the footprint of the Pac-12. But I think at the time there was the, the chance that you become a super conference and go on and, and pick up the uh, Oklahoma two Oklahoma schools in Texas and, you know, be the first to 16. Uh, and I, I think that was on the table as well. But it was certainly TV, I think, uh, uh, that, that helped that expansion. And I think those schools, you know, didn't have anywhere else to go. The Pac-12 to them was, uh, you know, the best place in the world. They certainly helped uh, in other sports, I think, you know, uh, Colorado has come in with they won the NCAA championship Saturday in cross country, for example. They bring different sports, and heck, they got a, a snow snowboard team that looked awful good, didn't they, Ryan? Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. If they're snowboarding <laughs> down the, they're a little. And I do think Colorado and Utah dominate the NCAA in skiing. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so they they do you know add a little bit to the footprint, and it lets the uh, you, uh, the uh, Pac-12 have the logo you know from the mountains to the ocean. So uh, that helps. Uh, so uh, no, I, I I think twelve is a better number probably, and uh, it does give you nine conference games. And I think uh, now I think the SEC is going to be going to nine conference games. So you know I do think from that standpoint it wasn't a bad move. And plus you get you get those schools, you get Ralphie, and Ralphie is the best mascot in college football. It's hands down. 
So it's worth it alone just to get Ralphie. Now, you know, if you don't go to, he doesn't go to away games. So you got to go to Boulder sometime. But yes. uh, be honest, get there early, watch Ralphie practice, and then you get to see him, uh, you know, a couple of times during the, you know, before the game and uh, halftime. But uh, uh, I would go for Colorado in the conference just to get Ralphie. Ralphie was. He's badass. I just have to say that's an awesome, just pure power running around and those people losing hats trying to stay stay with Ralphie. We got to see him twice, like before the game, which was fun. And the other, and and he wrote that the you know Utah and Colorado both one and six. You know Utah beat Stanford, right? Like their only win in conference is the Pac-12 North champion Stanford. Like that's their only win. So at least you give them that. And that's the difference here. I, coming out here, I, you know, and having covered the Southeastern Conference for a number of years, and you realize the bad teams never beat the good teams in the Southeastern Conference. Never. And I remember starting covering USC and realizing that in the 10, it was Pac-10 then, the 10 years previous to my first year at USC, nine different teams had won the Pac-10. I think Arizona was the only one that hadn't won the championship. I said, that's never going to happen in the SEC. It's never going to happen in the Big Ten. It's never, ever going to happen. It is a different world out here. And so, uh, you know, the bottom teams never quite seem to be quite as bottom as they are in some of the other more established conferences. You know, I don't think Wake Forest, you know, I don't care what they do in the ACC. Wake Forest didn't win in the ACC. It's different in the the Pac-10, Pac-12. Um, and and I kind of like that. I think, you know, you just never know. They throw the ball, and uh, if you're not ready to play. And one of the differences is there's probably not another conference that has the absolute extremes in weather. Uh, you know, that you go to Arizona in, this, you know, in September, like USC always seems to do, and it's 100, and you go to Boulder in November, which they kindly schedule USC for, and it's, uh, you know, it's, coldest or second coldest game in the history in 125 years of USC football. So there are issues with playing in the Pac-12 that you don't have anywhere else. I, I did. I think Wake Forest won in like 2006. I think they won the ACC. Though, they, just to... uh, <laughs> I knew they had a good, they had some good team. They had a yeah. good coach and they had, a, they had some good guys. Win the end. I didn't know if they had enough players, but Jim Grove, did, yeah. good for them. Uh, uh, it just doesn't seem like I mean, uh, you know, growing but they up were Kentucky, they were six and two in the we ACC. We knew Kentucky was never. They Kentucky had great they had some great teams and some really good players. We knew they were never going to win the SEC. Never, yeah. it didn't matter. It, they happen. weren't going to win the SEC. Vandy's never going to win the SEC. Mississippi State's not ever going to win it. But in the Pac-12, you know, and and that may be changing because you know as good as uh, some of the you know some of the programs have gotten now, it might be might be getting to the point where it's going to be harder harder to do that. But um, but the Pac-12 was always fun because you just never knew. All right, well, great stuff, Dan. We appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your insights. We'll talk to you again after the UCLA game. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, and everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll do a Armchair QB podcast this week. We'll try to do a Recruiting Blast podcast as well. Stay tuned for all of that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.